Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dads Podcast. As Warrior Dads, we got to tackle a lot of things, but tackling low testosterone levels should definitely not be one of them. Uh, we need to keep our testosterone at peak levels, and that is absolutely crucial for all of us. So I'm sure you know all the horrible things associated with low T levels. If you don't, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, it's Google search away. But unfortunately, testosterone levels in men have been consistently decreasing over the last two decades. And it's actually one of the biggest conversations I have to have when working with men, which is why I decided to create the Warrior Dads Testosterone Booster Guide and Checklist. It's a free download. And all you have to do is go to checklist.warriordads.com. Uh, just download it, start, start implementing it, and start to feel the difference. So again, go to checklist.warriordads.com and get your free copy now. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in for another episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. Today, I'm pleased to bring on Brett Jones. Uh, Brett is a certified strength and conditioning specialist from the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He's been teaching kettlebell techniques and principles since 2003 and currently acting as a director for education for Strong First. He also taught for functional movement systems since he has taught um, for functional movement systems, also FMS since 2006, and has created multiple DVDs and manuals with world-renowned physical therapist, Gray Cook. He's been married for 10 years and has an 18-year-old stepdaughter. And so please welcome Brett Jones to the Warrior Dads podcast. Brett, thanks so much for taking some time to uh, come on. Jim, it's uh, wonderful to have the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad we could do this. Um, we were introduced uh, by... Pavel Tatsulin, right? So um, mm -hmm. he said that you'd be a great fit to uh, to come on and, and share some of your wisdom and experience, and um, I'm really really thankful to have you on. That's quite a uh, that's quite a resume, um, and I I know we left a couple of things out, but you have you've it seems like your whole entire life you've been involved with sports medicine and rehabilitation and strength and conditioning. What got you? so uh so interested in that was it such a young age well i i had a i, I guess i would ballpark it around the uh, two things i had a great example from my father um who had quit smoking and gotten gotten overweight and started exercising 40 some odd years ago and uh you know just seeing him you know up quarter to five in the morning out of the house get his workout in get back you know get uh get ready for the day um, just to wow, he's waking up at four forty-five in the morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was Jocko before there was Jocko. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Without the Iron Man. Watch exactly. Whatever he's got. So, yeah. uh, you know, he was, did he work out at, you said he, he said he left to go work out. Did he go and run? Did he go to the gym? Did you guys have a home gym? It was a combo. He had, uh, some running buddies and he also had a, an athletic club that boy, he's been a member of this athletic club for, for those 40 some odd years, um, where he would train with a good friend of his. And uh, so I just got to see that growing up. And then I was a wrestler in junior high and high school. And um, I had the benefit of being a fairly strong kid. I was always good at pull-ups and things of that nature. And uh, so dad, you know, established kind of a home gym for us. And we got to uh, train at home. And, um, and, and that, that just set a great foundation. And then Due to having some injuries during wrestling, I became interested in physical therapy, and that led me in the direction of athletic training, uh, which is um, uh, really a, a tremendous base of knowledge and, and education for, for the fitness field, uh, which I transitioned into. And uh, so that's really what set the, set the foundation and, and kept me going. Wow. So you got, you got a chance to start working out with your dad then when, once he built the home gym? Sure. Or was it... You and your siblings? or My brother and I primarily. Um, and we started you know, the way all, uh, mo or I'm not going to say all, most adolescent boys start uh, with Arnold's education of a bodybuilder and uh, the encyclopedia of bodybuilding from Arnold and wanting to be bodybuilders. And uh, 
not having the genetics or ability to have any of that uh, work, but, uh, <laughs> but did enjoy the training. And like I said, I was always good at pull-ups and, and I was always a fairly uh, decently strong kid, nothing elite, nothing shocking, but you know, I was, I was okay at a few things and uh, that, yeah. that set a good foundation for moving forward. What age did that start? Uh, sixth, seventh grade. Okay. So what's so that? 12, 13, 11, 11 12. 12. Yeah. Yeah. I guess depending on when, you know, when you go to school. Okay. I was actually having this conversation with my cousin the other day saying, um, cause my, my son was doing some deadlifts with a 20 pound kettlebell and he's, he'll be eight in June. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he's doing it with good form and, you know, because of his height, he doesn't have to bend down very far to get the kettlebell. So it's like, you know, short range partial deadlifts relative yeah and so uh, he was he was saying you know is it okay for kids he said because he's seen some mixed stuff i was like well i don't know i mean a body doesn't know what it is i said you think of some of these farm boys uh growing up you you know or how we had to move things when we were younger i mean it doesn't matter if it's a rock that you're trying to pick up and move or you know and i'm only had them do five reps so uh, i was curious to hear what how old you are and I, I mean, I never started lifting anything like that, but I feel like it's only five reps. He wants to do some stuff with me. So he's doing that and he's doing some chin-ups with the TRX and he's doing some push-ups, but five reps of everything, you know, and so it's just get him, get him active. Well, it's, it's fantastic. And I, and I think one of the perspective things that, that maybe we can provide is, the, is this idea that we have no problem with kids running around and jumping off of things and, you know, uh, running, jumping and playing like kids are supposed to be doing. And we're certainly not suggesting training in place of that. But when you look at the numbers, you know, on just running, you know, you can take four to 10 times your body weight um, just running, uh, whether you're sprinting up or downhill or uh, jumping. So the numbers can get really big, really fast. And we don't have a problem with that because we're not thinking about it from that load perspective. We're just we're just seeing kids be kids. And you're right. That is kids being kids but they're taking some pretty large loads through their body. So teaching uh, a young uh, individual to move a weight with good form and uh, appreciation for the technique and getting them started early uh, and appropriately. uh, I have no problem uh, with that at all. I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Maybe I should do a form check video on the uh, strong first forums. (laughs) You You can just send it to me. Save, save, save yourself. All the other comments. Exactly. <laughs> I've only trolled through there for like a little bit, you know, at a at a time. I actually just really um got introduced to kettlebells not too long ago. And to be honest with you, hundred hundred percent honest with you, I, I actually feel really bad and closed minded for saying this, but I feel like I'm awakened now. But I kind of discounted them for a really long time and thinking to myself, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, it's just a ball with a handle on it. So it's like, what can you do with that that you can't do with, uh, I mean, aside from swings uh, with like a dumbbell? I'm like, okay, you can just do, you know, the same thing. It's just, and um, I never really started to dive too much into them. But then I don't know, you know, something just got me looking into him. I'm like, wow. And then I came across, um, Pavel and his work and, and those concepts and ideas. And I'm like, wow, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so what, what got you into the, the kettlebell? I mean, I'm, I'm, did your dad used to work out with them? Is that something, I mean, when did you get introduced? Oh, no. uh, Since 2003, I guess. Right. I mean, well, actually it says you were teaching kettlebell techniques in 2003 so when did you actually start using them or start learning so about them? i started learning about them in 2001 received my first kettlebell towards the end of 2001 uh, attended pavel's second ever certification in the states in february of 2002 and then mm-hmm. started teaching with him in april of 03 so you know mm-hmm. 19 ballpark 19 years of swinging a bell around and um I had been introduced to some of Pavel's other books, Power to the People, and some of his strength training books, Naked Warrior. And uh, and then they came up with the – started producing the original Russian Kettlebell Challenge book and uh, kettlebells. And so I started getting all of this material, and I bought the book, and uh, I looked at it. And honestly, I had kind of the same reaction you did. I looked at it, and I was like, ah, okay. And I kind of put it in a drawer. <laughs> And then uh, I pulled it out, you know, itching at the back of my skull. And I uh, pulled it out a couple months later and hooked up a 50-pound dumbbell to try some of the moves with and decided I should probably go get educated in this. 
And that's why I went to the second ever cert in February of 02. And, uh, pardon me. So that, uh, that was when I got started with it. And, you know, I heard over and over again, you know, how it was a, it was a fad. It was you know, not going to last. And it was, you know, all of this other stuff, but it is a deceivingly simple tool to your point. It's a cannonball yeah. to handle on it. And you look at it and you think, well, there can't be anything really unique about that, but that thick handle offset center of gravity really makes it a unique tool and it has some unique impacts on the body. And just the fact I like to joke, you can only swing a barbell between your legs once. Um, and then <laughs> you'll decide that was a bad idea and not do that ever again. And, uh, the kettlebell allows us to achieve these really unique loaded, over, uh, whether overspeed or not, but these uh, loaded eccentric positions uh, that have tremendous benefit uh, athletically and just from a general training standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, also just thinking about like with the press, because now I, I, I finally own my, my first kettlebell. And you think about just from doing a press, you know, um, you have the, when, when you're, when you're holding it in the, in the rack for position, right. And for anybody that doesn't know what the rack position is with the, the kettlebell is that basically your arm, your forearms, not quite at a 45 degree angle, maybe like a 20 or 25 degree angle and your hands in front of your chest. Right. And then the kettlebell is draped and sitting on mm -hmm. your forearm while you're holding the handle with your wrist straight. So in, essentially the weights in front of your body. Right. But as soon as you open your hand, to open the chest and open the shoulder slightly to press up over weight, press up overhead. Now the weight's actually behind you. That offset center of mass helps right? to guide you uh, at a certain weight, it guides you into better positions. And then once it gets heavier, it becomes something that you work um, with slash against uh, to build even greater strength. So, yeah. Right. So now, so now you're, you're, you're being pulled and you, the, the center, not, not really the center of gravity, but the center of pull is behind you now and then you're still pushing the handle straight up but then the weight's behind you and then when you bring it back down and you bring it kind of like that arnold press where you're bringing your hands back back mm -hmm. in front of you then the weight's in front of your body again so just that dynamic right there with the press um is unique in itself because with a dumbbell it's just the weight just going straight down through the forearm basically right, right? i mean that's i mean well it's all, you know the weight is on either side of the hand too but you're just holding that handle and the weight just pulling pushing straight down but with this you have that shifting back and forth so even just from that i'm like wow and and i've never really actually heard anybody talk about that so maybe i'm sure there is somebody out there that that mentions that but i just from my own experience and just looking and noticing i'm like wow so the weight's in front of me and as soon as i open my hand to press the weight's actually behind me so i because i feel the stabilization because i usually do slow uh, overhead presses and so I, I have the opportunity to actually feel what's happening and so it's just one thing that i happen to notice um and of course swinging a kettle uh, or a dumbbell through your legs isn't very easy to do i mean it, it definitely challenges your grip holding the one head of the dumbbell but you're not getting the full benefit because of the weight distribution yep. so um it, it's definitely it's definitely a really unique tool and something i've i've come to appreciate and then also the concepts behind one being exposed to the kettlebell and then two listening to some of the things you've already, that you already know from working with Pavel for so long is that it's very, very different than I guess traditional methods in the way that we train in the United States, right? The idea is that you guys teach at strong first. Um, I mean, how, how do you classify it as, you know, cause how many, how many confused look <laughs> faces do you guys get? when you guys are starting to teach some of these things, when you're talking to, you know, you mentioned Jocko earlier, so he's talking about Metcons and he's talk, you know, he talks about these kinds of things. And I know he uses kettlebells. I don't really know to the extent of his training uh, too much. I know he's got that, that book, uh, the field mm -hmm. manual thing, but, um, but when you talk, you know, when you think of like all these crazy conditioning things that people are doing out there and then they're trying to get strong, but then you guys come along and you, you teach these completely different, um, principles. What is that like? And what was that like for you to learn that too? Cause I mean, you, you know, you see your dad train, I don't know how he, how he used to train, but you know, you're, you're being exposed to him. And then you're looking at, like you said, Arnold's bodybuilding book, which I actually have the encyclopedia right. of bodybuilding. Very, mm -hmm. very different, right? Very different. That was one of the things that drew me to Pavel originally when I read his, uh, one of his original books, power to the people, which was a minimalist strength training book and it was really uh anti um well 
lack of a better term, anti-establishment at the time. I mean, it was advocating uh, low reps and uh, frequent work. So you would deadlift and side press five, six days a week um, with, you know, no rest days, which was, you know, no body part split, no, you know, nothing like that. It was uh, just good, consistent strength work, low rep. And how many, how many uh, sets? That, the original Power to the People book was two sets of five of those two exercises per day. So Okay. So you're not building up volume in one training session. You're building up volume over the course of the Correct. Week. And the idea is let's build some strength over time and minimize weight gain. Uh, one of Pavel's focuses, uh, especially coming out of the military himself, was building as much strength as possible but minimizing weight gain. Um, a lot of times being a very large military uh, personnel or uh, operator in, in any sort of uh, um, you know, first responder, police situation, uh, sometimes the bigger you are, the more detriment that is. And so the focus was on building strength, uh, minimizing weight gain. Um, so it was definitely not a bodybuilding approach, but a true minimalist strength training approach. And which that's also very different than here too, because everyone wants to, you know, train like the rock and be as oh, exactly. big as the rock. Right. So, I mean, from that, from that perspective, that's a very, very different idea too. So I guess it, it really dials into what, what are your goals? for Yeah. And I was too. always, uh, I was never a big kid, um, graduated high school in the one, one fifty or so. Um, but always appreciated being strong and, and, uh, you know, the, the idea of being, uh, one of my little quips has always been, uh, big isn't strong, strong is strong. And that happens at any weight. And so, uh, f you know, building strength can always be done and it can be done with minimal weight gain. And so that, that focus has been, uh, strong, uh, through the years. And, you know, from a base strength training perspective, if people focused on three to five reps of three to five sets of uh, some basic strength training exercises and, and varied their intensity well, you know, they'd be doing much better in their strength training. Mm -hmm. As and as um, as a dad yourself, um, is that how you train? Um, yes, um, I train predominantly with kettlebells. Um, so I, I haven't done a lot of barbell work in the last few years, just been, I mean, I, I went through some power lifting and things like that, but I'd, you know, I'd say in the last, uh, you know, probably 10 years I've done predominantly, uh, kettlebell training. And, well, I think the reason I asked that is because, you know, when I said as a dad yourself, it's like, you know, you kind of think of, you know, you think of a single guy, you think of hmm. someone who has a lot of time. Right. But when, when you think of a dad, you know, or someone who has a family and then, you know, they're probably working as well. And in this case you are, and you're doing a lot, time is of the essence, right? But you're trying to get the, the most done and be as efficient as you can with the time that you have. So when you're talking about maybe not putting on a lot of mass and, and trying to really, really gain strength, is that how you continue to, like, what are, what are some of your goals right now for yourself? Uh, well, um, my, my goals are a little on, uh, on hiatus just due to some uh, personal and medical situations that are going on. But, um, you know, my, my goal uh, over the last decade or so has definitely been uh, a very healthy-based uh, approach, health-based approach to my training, staying strong. Uh, I have been pursuing Sinister, uh, the, the Sinister goal from Simple and Sinister, which is uh, the Sinister goal is 48 kilo, uh, 10 sets of 10, uh, 48 kilo one arm swings in five minutes. So uh, set every 30 seconds and then a minute rest and then a get up each minute for 10 minutes, uh, switching hands each, each side. So that's been a goal of mine for the last uh, couple of years and, and coordinating my training around that has been very effective. And how close, how close are you? I was goal? close uh, towards the end, middle of last year. Um, and then I had a little knee situation pop up that required me to shift my training towards more of a military press focus and just uh, take some pressure off of the uh, off of the knee. Uh, had that scoped in October, and the knee's doing well. And um, so you had to forgo the getup. Um, pretty much. So I'd either do partials, or yeah. you know, I reached a point where it was just better to focus on the military press and single leg deadlift and 
you know, things of that nature that were very assistive and supportive to my uh, system. But uh, so you had to stop. The swing I did. Too. I backed off, um, and especially the heavy swings, just to give the knee the time it needed uh, going into surgery and things like that. Yeah. Now, you, to, um, and, to, and to be clear, that was a knee injury that occurred 15 yeah. years prior. Um, I had tweaked it uh, on the way uh, driving from Pennsylvania to moving out to California and stopped at a friend's house to do some strongman training. And uh, my foot slipped while I was flipping a tire and opa, there goes my knee. And, uh, but that was 15 years between that incident and actually having to have it taken care of. So it wasn't like I hurt myself in my kettlebell training. This was an existing knee injury that had been right. around for 15 years. So you never actually got it rehabilitated? Well, I did. I mean, I managed it very effectively for 15 years until it refused to be managed. Oh. <laughs> what, what popped? Was it nah, ACL just or meniscus. ACL or meniscus? Or... Yep. Meniscus. Just had a flap that got yeah. caught and had to get it taken care of. I, I just cringe when I hear knees now because I just recovered from... Uh, and it's going good. I have a little bit of crunching. Like if I do like a full, like when I'm actually not when I'm descending into a squat, but when I'm standing up towards a sticking point, I have just like that little mm -hmm. bit of like crackle crunch in my knee. I dislocated it doing jujitsu um, late okay. last year and I was out for about 10 weeks. And um, so, cause there was a, there was a hairline fracture somewhere. They, they don't know where, but they, they knew that the bone had cracked somewhere because there was some, uh, <clears throat> some fat from right. on the top of the blood. So I insisted it was like extra virgin olive go. oil because I'm Italian, but <laughs> they, they didn't buy that. Um, actually, maybe I should ask you, what is that crunch? What is that? It's crunch hard to tell. Do you know? It's really what hard to tell. Um, anytime yeah. you've had blood in the knee and a little bit of scar tissue <clears throat> develops, it can be any number of things. Um, you know, looking at the, Okay. The function of the knee and the tracking and the uh, the the results. Pardon me. After the fact, you know, there's no swelling that occurs after you do something that creates that sensation, and there's no residual pain and things like that. There's there's a variety of crunches and cracks in the body that uh, don't deserve our time or attention because uh, they're they're just oh, okay things. I shouldn't want it to be like cartilage just breaking down and then eventually it's bone on bone uh, correct. at some point. Yeah. And, and I think as long as you're doing like a good supportive routine to keep the knee healthy, which I think single leg deadlifts and a couple of other things fit into that category really well, um, yeah. then you should be doing, you should be doing fine. Yeah. So back to the, um, back to the, the, well, actually, uh, you did mention the one thing that I, I, I didn't want to skip over is that you said that you're um, you're having some issues yes. right now, health wise. You wanna, yeah, so I'm currently undergoing that? treatment for cancer. Uh, it's a primary tonsillar squamous cell carcinoma, stage three T4 tumor without involvement of the lymph nodes that's inf infiltrated the left tongue and part of the lymphatic disc of the throat. And so I uh, just began my third week of uh, treatment, and um, this is a radiation-only week. So I'm going in each day for my radiation dose, and then uh, Monday, uh, next Monday, I have my uh, second chemo uh, treatment. And so I'm in uh, the beginning of the third week of a seven-week uh, treatment cycle for that cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to say, from from talking to you the other day and then talking to you now though and and hearing you say that out loud um of course without being able to see you you sound mentally strong um i am and this goes in phases for me um i've certainly had my moments of struggle and uh certainly being di diagnosed sure. was a gut punch that i was not uh prepared for but i am very much a head uh -huh. down do the work do the thing that needs to be done um, and I process as, <laughs> as time goes by. Uh, so I'm very much in fight mode and I'm very much in, uh, my head down, get, get the seven weeks done and do what needs done, uh, mindset. And, um, my, my attitude is to do just that to, uh, this is the fight that's in front of me. Uh, I know what the plan is and now it's my job to execute and be a part of the plan. 
and uh, make sure that this gets taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you sound like you're in great spirits. And of course, I think everybody listening would understand and myself too understands that, you know, we always have our highs and our lows. Um, that's just part of life, but I think it's great how, how confident you sound. And it doesn't sound like, uh, doesn't sound like it's, you're going to let it beat you, which, which is really great to hear, you know, cause I know that that can be some tough news. Um, so Thanks. I applaud you in that. And, uh, and I wish you the best with, with your treatments. And it sounds like you were still training though, right too. I mean, you're still keeping yourself physically healthy. I am. I'm doing, I'm doing some, Oh, definitely. Doing I'm, some things I'm, for your I'm body. definitely getting out for walks. I have an elliptical at the house and, and, uh, doing some more, uh, some of the things that are known to be, uh, assistive and handling things like radiation and chemo. And, and really that turns out to be kind of classic low intensity cardio. Uh, tends to be very assistive uh, in that. So that's that's my primary focus at the moment. Um, being that it's a throat-related cancer, there's all kinds of swallowing exercises and neck exercises that they want you doing because the scar tissue uh, that can result from the radiation can cause some problems. And so there's uh, there's there's a variety of things to be managed and to work on as the the, the treatment progresses. And uh, I'm, I'm, I am in the blissful early stages um, next week and moving into the last three and a half weeks will be um, more intense, more difficult uh, from a side effect standpoint. Um, and that's just, you know, like I said, it's the, it's the fight that's coming and that's, uh, that's where we are. Yeah. And I don't know where the, where the line is with this as far as from a training perspective, but one of the things that I remember, um, learning about, and I'm sure, you know, you, you guys talk about this at strong first is, um, some of the better, some of the benefits of kettlebell and, and strength training and things like that, uh, come from yes. mitochondrial health, right? And so mitochondria being in the cells and keeping your cells strong and healthy, has that, has that been playing a part or like, you know, in your mind of, of part of this fight and you're like, all right, what do, what do I need to do? Like you said, you got your head down, you're trying to figure out what needs yeah. to be done and just get it done. I mean, does that play a part or, or again, where's that, where's that line of keeping your mitochondria strong, keeping your cells strong and your body strong without overdoing it and breaking it down where it's detrimental from a, from a recovery perspective of definitely. You know, and that's cancer. the focus of Pavel's book, the quick and the dead and, and the strong endurance seminar and the, the rabbit hole that he went down six years ago. Uh, he, he asked us the strong first community. What did, what did we want his next book to be on? And we're like conditioning. And he's like, ugh. Uh, but, but, but he did it. Uh, <laughs> and he dove down this rabbit hole and came out the other side, focused on these anti-glycolytic uh, training techniques. And that turns out to be something that from a cancer perspective and a health perspective and mitochondrial uh, health and, and uh, support perspective is very important. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of our current training protocols are primarily glycolytic and have a high cost uh, on the body. And so shifting focus into these, uh, A, getting that traditional Low intensity, uh, if you look at Maffertone uh, sort of techniques, you'd be looking at 180 minus your age, uh, sort of heart rate intensity uh, to get this low level, really aerobic uh, work in. And then avoiding the middle zone uh, uh, with the, uh, the glycolytic zone and having some high intensity uh, but quick burst um, work. Uh, and swings and snatches, certain kettlebell swings and snatches certainly can fit that bill very easily. And so the, definitely the focus towards the anti-glycolytic is the, uh, the, the direction. Hmm. Okay. I'm not familiar. I, I, you know, when I was introduced to Pavel, it was like the, 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 the podcast, cause I'll listen to stuff in the car to and from. And, uh, you know, so I listen to that kind of stuff. I, the only book I have though, is the, uh, the one that you mentioned yep. first, the Sin simple and sinister. So I'm not familiar with the other ones. I think I, I've heard of them, you know, in passing or, or, you know, people typing about them, but, uh, I'm not familiar with all the ones and what they include. Yeah. Quick in like the that. Dead would so be a good, interesting, interesting read. Yeah. Quick in the Dead. All right. I'll have to make a note of that. Um, I'm sure you have all these oh, probably yeah. prerequisites for the courses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
<clears throat> back to the training principles then for dads that have little time and let's say let's let's go a different route. Maybe for a dad that's maybe mm-hmm. looking to lose weight, but then also is interested in getting strong at the same time. Um so the approach what would you recommend? You know, so something that yeah, time effective, losing weight. And then so and uh, getting all strong. depends on you know there's always multiple <clears throat> factors that are involved and so if you're going to train let's say yeah. you're going to try to train at home with just a kettlebell then what I'm going to recommend initially is simple and sinister let's get you started down that path of building strength with the uh, with the swings and the get up and um, believe it or not that style of training it's consistent especially as you're headed towards the simple goal with the 32 kilo bell. Um, your training is very consistent, uh, five or six days a week. And, um, that sort of consistency over time is going to yield great results. The swings, especially if you get the simple and sinister 2.0, the uh, updated and revised edition where Pablo talks about the timeless strategy and getting to uh, these goals. And the timeless strategy simply means passing the talk test before you do your next set. So not putting yourself under such a time crunch. Mm. Um, and that's, but that's not the simple goal. That's not a new simple goal. It's just basically it, before it's you a training simple, strategy to start get there. to simple. Um, so it, it helps, uh, gotcha. solves the question of how much, how long am I going to rest between these sets? Well, you're going to rest as long as you need to, to be able to pass the talk test before you do next set. And you'll be amazed at how quickly you progress in, in following that just by giving your body the rest it needs. Um, it will do better. Uh, and recover better and get better results from the training. Um, you know, in, in an ideal world where there's a little more availability to equipment, uh, a good low rep barbell program, uh, maybe it's deadlift and zercher squat or deadlift and bench or you know, something of that nature. Uh, just a couple of lifts that are done for a very simple protocol like the two sets of five or the three sets of three uh, progressively waved in load. Uh, combined with a good, um, you know, uh, simple and sinister uh, swing type goal um, would be very efficient training that would accomplish a lot. Check a lot of those boxes uh, for those uh, for those busy folks for weight loss too. So for weight loss too, huh? You think simple and sinister? You guys have seen simple and sinister yield some some good weight loss as well for just well, you said 100 swings and five on each side. Turkish yes, right? so and the, total, the, thing, the, the X factor there is what are you doing with your diet? Um, if you're going to talk weight loss, you're going to mm-hmm. talk about dietary mm-hmm. change. And uh, I think for a lot of us, Definitely. myself included, um, I you know had gotten in the habit of having a nightly uh, beverage or two of the adult variety. Um, <laughs> Late, lately, hell yeah. <laughs> with being shut in. Oh my gosh! I think I've almost gone through a handle of vodka, uh, vodka of rum in uh, almost three weeks, two weeks, something like that. It's like, yeah, I love I love mojitos, so I've been buying mint lines. Well, you do the math on crazy. the ca- the number of calories you're taking in, and you know that becomes a, a a really big source of a lot of empty calories that are hard for your body to deal with, and you know usually not just drinking in isolation. So there's usually a snacky or two uh, involved uh, with the, the beverage. And so you end up consuming several hundred extra calories. And right. you know, so any, any sort of weight loss conversation has to be tied into a lifestyle and dietary conversation. And the, tra- the training will then support that. Definitely, but, but yeah, but, okay. Yeah, I just didn't know if, um, I'm surprised you actually mentioned Simple and Sinister because I mean, it, it does sound like quite a bit of work, but then it's just like, okay, well, so 10 sets of 10. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really want to chalk it up to that, right? Ten cents of ten, and then ten mm-hmm. reps of the of the Turkish getup. But doing enough and ramping up the body enough to stimulate, you know, fat burning and things like that. And again, I mean, a lot of that yep. is going to be tied into the diet, just like you said, and one hundred and fifty percent true. But I'm just, uh, I mean, it's good to hear that you guys have seen some some weight loss yields from the simple and sinister program. It's pretty good because it's a very easy program and uh, I have not done it yet because I literally just got my kettlebell. Right. I don't know, four days ago, something like that, you know, cause it was, it was taking like over three weeks to come in from the place I ordered right. it from cause all this stuff going down. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, and right now I'm just starting out with a 16 kilo bell. So I have a 24 on order and then, but the simple yes. one is 32, yep. right? And then what's the, it what's is. the uh, 48 is the sinister? And, and, and there's also, okay. you know, from the so weight loss perspective, it's the consistency <laughs> of work. So this getting to simple in particular is going to be five to six days a week of training. And so that sort of consistency over time yields results that where you might be burning yourself to a frazzle in a high intensity class one or two days a week, because it's all you can take and quote recover from. Uh, now you're doing good, consistent work five or six days a week, and that wins out over time. That's a great point. That's a great point. And that's, and that's one of the principles that really caught my eye at first. It's like, wow, yeah, yeah, you're building the volume up over the course of the week. And like you said, can, being consistent instead of just burning yourself out in one hour long class or training session or something like that, where you're sore, you don't, you don't have the energy and you're like, oh, I'm going to take today off or you're just pushing through it. And you have that mindset of just, I'm just going to push through it and keep going, but potentially you could be breaking your body down or, you know, lead to an injury or something like that. I mean, you just well, never know. High intensity given, routines but, are very um, appealing because we expect training, uh, pardon my language, but uh, we expect training to suck. Uh, we expect it to be hard for it to burn. Uh -huh. Uh, for it to be this uncomfortable experience. Um, and high-intensity routines certainly fit that bill. Uh, we, get, we get the burn, we get the discomfort, and yeah. we think, wow, this is really effective. And to Pavel's point, it's like the cabbage soup diet. Um, you're going to lose some weight. It's a crash diet sort of mentality. Yeah, you're going to see some initial results. Not sustainable over time. It's, uh, there's a lot of sacrificing of, of uh, health and recovery in order to handle that sort of high-intensity load consistently. And so the uh, actually kind of lower-intensity load that's sustained over time more consistently uh, yields better results. Okay. I never heard of that <laughs> metaphor, the cabbage soup thing. Is that in, is that in the Quick and the Dead book? Somebody I think I lost the phone, but I got rid there. of them. Um, apologize to the to the readers, oh, no our listeners. I'm sure we can edit that. <laughs> um, I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> but no, the, uh, yeah, the cabbage soup diet is, I believe that is an analogy in the um, book, The Quick and the Dead. Okay. So what what, what is this um, the idea behind, mm -hmm. like you mentioned the word glycolytic before, but I know... Um, like mm -hmm. lactic acid in the body. So and lactic Why acid, is that so uh, natural part of how we produce energy. Um, and there's two pieces there. There's the lactate, uh, which is actually a very good energy source and something that the body handles very well. It's actually a, a really good part of our energy systems. But then there's the acid that comes along with it. There's this hydrogen ion that gets uh, broken off as well. And uh, they're just looking to steal another electron from somebody else and, and do some damage uh, as they go through. And so our ability to, uh, it's not so much our ability to handle the lactate, it's our ability to process and get rid of this acid. And so when we look at the three different energy systems, we have this alactic or quick energy system that is this ATP that's sitting there ready to go, quick burst, uh, five to seven seconds, uh, upwards of, you might get 10 or so seconds out of that system. And then you start switching over into this glycolytic system, which is this in-between energy system that is supposed to be the bridge to our aerobic system kicking in, which is where we more efficiently turn over uh, energy with lower byproducts. So the glycolytic is this bridge that happens to be very inefficient. And the more hydrogen ions you accumulate and acid you accumulate, the harder your body has clearing that. And so some traditional training protocols have focused on actually building your tolerance to the burn. And that's some of where the burn quote comes from, um, is this accumulation of acid. Um, and so some training protocols have focused on building your tolerance to that. Uh, our training protocols work on building your capacity to process that byproduct in a more efficient manner which means having healthier and more mitochondria in order to handle those byproducts and keep the uh, engine running efficiently. Mm -hmm. 
So for someone who's listening to this and they're, you know, um, let's say they have an active job. Is there any, is there anything where these principles don't apply? Like if you have someone who's a firefighter and has to deal with maybe a lot of lactic acid or someone who's, but, but somebody, I was going to say somebody in the military, but then I remember that I've heard that a lot of these techniques and things like that were used by Pavel when he was training. Yes. Uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, Spetsnaz, um, uh, operatives and things like that. So, you know, for someone like that, I'm, I'm assuming they're probably building up some lactic acid, right. And some of the trainings that they're doing or in a, in a real life mission well, or operation or something like that, or. So separating out you know, the mission who, from the training. Yeah. Good. And that's one of the things that, uh, oftentimes <clears throat> happens in, uh, groups like the military, law enforcement, uh, EMS, uh, things of that nature is there's an aspect of the training, uh, initial training that is used to identify you as somebody that can be a part of this group. That's boot camp, right? That's SEAL training. That's these, these uh, litmus tests that we put these individuals through to see if they can hack uh, and are going to be a good fit for that unit. Well, the training we use to identify you right. is not necessarily the training that I want to use to develop you. And so if I'm now looking at you as this person who's come through the litmus test and now you're a member of this elite group and, and that can certainly be fire service, uh, EMS, uh, military, law enforcement. Now I want to develop you. I want to make sure that you can handle the rigors of your job and maintain your health and be the best first responder that you can be uh, in that situation. And so while it may seem appealing to uh, have these intense workouts that quote replicate what you're going to be facing in the field. What that turns into is constantly testing without ever developing the capacity that you need to do well at the test. And so we want to develop the training that develops hmm. you and this anti-glycolytic approach and building this capacity to handle more lactic acid and handle more stress, but actually do it in a healthier fashion is a key aspect of training some of these elite groups. Hmm. So it's almost like <laughs> going back to the drinking that we were talking about. Because <laughs> now I got mojitos on the mind. No, uh, but like it's, it's almost like dumping a ton of alcohol into your liver and expecting your liver to right. be able to handle it better and better and better instead of having a little bit each night and exposing your liver to maybe a little bit of alcohol. I mean, maybe it's completely different, but I was just, I just I thought that in my mind, cause I always try to relate it and like, how do I relate this to a different situation or how do I relate it to something else? And, um, you know, so you're kind of like drip feeding it instead of just Correct. dumping a ton into and, the system and all at once. Is there any, is there any overlap or am I just way off? <laughs> no, I, I, I like do think there's some again? overlap. Uh, there's, it's, <laughs> In the final result, uh, we know that the, the alcohol outcome is going to be different than the training outcome. But um, the uh, – <laughs> yeah, 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 huge, huge disclaimer. As a, dis as a disclaimer. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean that's essentially it is the – and it, it really, in my mind, breaking that mold between the testing and the training, uh, looking at the capacities that we need to develop. Uh, and how do we do that in the healthiest fashion? Because what's the biggest question people are asking right now in their training? How do I recover better? And I was asked this a couple of years ago. My answer would kind of shock the people that I was talking to. Uh, my favorite recovery strategy is proper programming. Because if I programmed myself appropriately, I should recover from my training. And if I'm constantly trying to figure out how to recover from my training, I'm just doing too much. I mean, it sounds overly simplistic, but you yeah. you really do get into this situation where oh, I, I can't recover from my training. I, I don't know how to recover better. We'll tweak your programming. And the other part of that conversation has got to be lifestyle. You know, if you're a busy dad and you're working two jobs and you're trying to fit in two hours of training and you're sleeping four hours a night and your diet's not dialed in, I'm not so concerned about your recovery from your training. I'm trying to figure out how to fix the lifestyle issues that are going to impede any sort of recovery chance that you're going to have. So rather than constantly tweaking the recovery strategies, let's 
back off the training. Let's fix some of the lifestyle issues, get the diet dialed in and make sure we're getting enough sleep and getting enough hydration. And, you know, there's, there's some key things that we can get to that will really help with recovery and, and making sure that we're more, we're healthier and more effective. And then uh, again, defining those capacities and things that I need to actually do the things that I want to be doing better. Yeah, no, those are all great points. I mean, and, and if you're assuming that the diet is dialed in and that the person's getting enough rest, because of course those are definitely needed, you know, cause you're, you're literally breaking the body down when you're training, like, you know, when you're training and relying on those other things to help build it back up, but yet yeah, not doing as much destruction to the body yep. so that you're fighting against those other principles. So when you, let's say somebody does have their nutrition dialed in, right? They are getting enough sleep. They're hydrating their body properly uh, and adequately. What are some of the signs that they think that they're not recovering? Are they just, are they sore? Are they overly sore where they can hardly move? Are they sore for very long periods of time? There's, Is it both? Yeah, there's a few things are there, that you can From that uh, perspective that you were talking about as far as soreness goes, unless you have a dramatic, if your training is consistent, unless you have a dramatic change to volume, intensity, workload, uh, you shouldn't get sore from your training. Um, that's something that you should have as a byproduct of uh, a change in your training. You increased intensity, workload, etc. Uh, but on a, on a routine basis, you shouldn't get sore from your training. And if you start, your training is consistent, your program is dialed in, and you start to get sore from your training, that's probably an indicator that we're starting to accumulate a little too much. Um, you can look at, you know, sleep can start mm -hmm. to be impacted by overtraining, um, where your sleep quality will go down. Um, your performance on a day-to-day -day basis might change, uh, where you used to be X and now you can only do Y and, you know, things of that nature. So there are a few things that you can look for there, um, as far as overtraining starting to, to creep in. And I would say from a, from just a, if I were to make one large gross generalization that everyone could do better is I think rest, uh, particularly rest uh, within a training session, is the most abused training protocol that there is um, or training variable that there is. So rest longer than you think you need to <laughs> uh, between sets, and you'll probably find your performance is, is better and your recovery is better. Yeah, that's definitely one training aspect that is, is also very different, you know, not even just the training principles, but to rest, if I remember what, like five to 10 minutes for certain, I mean, I guess it depends on the protocol and maybe the intensity too. And I've, and I've been exposed to higher rest periods, but more just in allowing the nervous system to recover where, you know, I know that that's yep. where a lot of strength lies is in the nervous system, which is why, which is why you can have strength and not be, big and bulky and, and things like that. Um, so when you're, when you're letting your rest or when you're letting your nervous system recover, which needs a lot more recovery time than the musculoskeletal system, to me, that makes sense. Um, but even if you're just doing something, well, I guess you, cause, cause you mentioned simple and sinister just going back and back to that, which is the hundred swings. You're not taking a five, 10 minute rest there. You're only taking a one minute rest, but that's very different than just, uh, well, traditional... and it, and it training program right i mean even even the two by two by five or three by three if it's a, are you taking five minutes of if rest i'm doing more of a strength or, or just even so three let's say i'm working on my military press um i will rest upwards of three to five minutes between sets um now i might do something else in that five minutes i might rest two minutes do a set of rows uh, a non-competing drill or a single leg deadlift uh, and then rest the remainder of the five minutes and, and then do my next set of military press. But definitely on a strength-based protocol, I'm going to be resting that three to five minutes. Um, if I was doing my one-arm swings for something like simple, um, I might do a set of 10, and then I will wait until I can pass the talk test. That might be a minute, might be two minutes. I don't know where I am in my, my training, uh, intensive training protocol or, or experience at this point. And so rather than always going so regimented by the clock, mm -hmm. uh, freeing yourself from the clock and letting your body tell you when it's time for the next set.
uh, is actually a very freeing and uh, very healthy thing. Yeah, I, I do like that because I, I, I promote and tell people to listen to their bodies all the time. You know, a lot of times we're talking about how much energy you have for the training that you're about to do or, you know, what kind of macronutrient your body might want, fat, protein, carbohydrates, something like that. That's really interesting. A lot of times I would schedule or, or structure my mm-hmm. sessions as more circuit circuit training to get a little bit more of the cardiovascular response from a quote unquote conditioning perspective, mm-hmm. but then also have some of the strength variables thrown in there. Uh, those can what be you, effective. What do you think of something those can, like that? Those can be a good training variable. Uh, again, probably focusing on a little more rest in between uh, exercises and looking at non-competing setups uh, for going from drill to drill. Uh, but uh, yeah, circuits can be very effective. Because like if you have three exercises in one, maybe you have a pull, a push, and a pull, or a hinge, a pull, and a push, and you perform them back to back to back, and then you rest for your three to five minutes, something like that. Back again. Okay. <laughs> um, um, so, what, I, yeah, what, what do you think about something like that? Where if you have three to four, three to four exercises, and again, it's not just all legs, you know, like, so maybe you're doing a lunge, maybe you're doing an overhead press, maybe you're doing a pull, and then maybe you're doing something else. Maybe like you said, a single leg deadlift or something like that. And I always, I always structure the biggest, most challenging, most complex exercise, neurologically demanding, et cetera, at the top. And then I sequence it, you know, from hardest to easiest. And that's you know usually how I'll set up my my training programs, and so again neurologically demanding, most complicated, heaviest at the at the so, top, and then um, least at the okay, bottom. So you're just going continuous to have that those rest period drills. after that. Yeah, so you go right from let's say um, uh, front front and rear lunge to uh, pull up to an overhead press to uh, a cable wood chop or something like that, where it's like a twisting upper and lower body motion, but more for the obliques in the core, you know, you do all of those in a circuit, you move right from one to the other, and then you rest at the end, maybe like again, three to five minutes. I would minutes only do that protocol for a the short period again. of time, um, two to three weeks, uh, probably more towards the two week end of things. And then I would allow for more rest between the individual exercises. Uh, so you do your lunges and then you take uh, an appropriate amount of rest and then do the next one. And uh, so kind of an extended circuit, I would say, um, because that the high intensity circuit that you're doing, uh, I don't know if you've calculated your total work time for the circuit itself, the going back and forth through all those exercises, probably going to be taking you two to three minutes to complete uh, one of those rounds. And that's going to be a highly glycolytic effort, Mm -hmm. no matter how you try to uh, minimize it. And so good in the short term, but probably something that needs to be done only for uh, shorter periods of time. Correct. Or even something that's maybe just like once a week. Okay. Interesting. All right. So just something, you know, again, keeping that feedback. um, uh, we want to use the clean burning energy sources and develop our capacity uh, rather than always uh, burning the, the dirty fuel, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. And um, the one, one thing before we, uh, we, we end with the 10 questions, because we always end with uh, 10 questions for our guests, but I know the one thing that you wanted to touch on when we talked the other day uh, this is the first thing that you mentioned, so I definitely didn't want to leave this out, and it's not really like a nice, simple, sexy transition for it. But it was something that um, I don't really think I've ever had any of my mm-hmm. other guests talk about, so I definitely wanted to touch on this. That You said that you missed out a lot mm-hmm. from family time due to business, and so I wanted to hear what you had to say about that, and I'm sure that that's a very common thing that happens um, – for men and for dads is just missing out on time with others. And in this, in this case, particularly family due to being so busy, um, 
you know, you being involved with Strong First mm-hmm. and having your your own coaching business online, um, which I know you said is slowed down a little bit, but then also being involved with um, FMS, functional movement systems. That is a, a lot. I think to it's, take it's on. an, so, uh, and what did you I, want to say about that? The example I saw from my dad was in the, the role of a father was to work, was to provide. And uh, so I certainly embraced that <laughs> as time went by. And I'm a bit of a workaholic where I can always find something that needs to be done. Uh, and can keep me busy for, for, you know, hours at a time. And part of my job has been a lot of travel. So I travel to different locations and teach. And so I can be away from home for three to five days at a time and, you know, not being a part of things that are happening uh, at the house. And um, you fall into the, what you're telling yourself is that you're providing, that you're doing the work that needs to be done. And you are, but you're still not there. You're not there when the power goes out and, you know, there's uh, something happening at, you know, 2 a.m. when there's a storm. There's, you're not there when somebody needs to have a conversation with you and, uh, or just to be there to, to be supportive. And so I look back, kind of an honest evaluation of the last close to 20 years of my career, and um, I, would, I would say that I've missed too much. Uh, with my family and, you know, having a stepdaughter, uh, who goes back and forth. Um, she's been going back and forth since she was about five years old, uh, four or five years old. And so she's, uh, correct. You say back and forth, you mean, so we only had her half the time anyway. And there was, there was a period of time, a significant period of time where we had, it was Wednesday afternoon or Thursday afternoon through Sunday afternoon. So it was half a week, half a week. And I was traveling, a significant number of those weekends. And so I missed way more time than I ever wanted to or fully appreciated at the time uh, from, from my stepdaughter and my wife and my family. And so I think that that's, um, you know, that, that there's always the old jokes and memes that, uh, you know, people on their deathbed are not wishing they had worked more. Uh, they're wishing they had been there more uh, to be a, be a part of things. And I certainly, um, you know, uh, feel that that's something that can be inherent, uh, in the provider role and, and the provider role is, you know, male, female and, and everything in between these days. And, and so, you know, we, you know, fall into that trap of, of doing the work that needs done and not appreciating what we're missing. And, uh, and then you throw in trying to be healthy and do your training and mm-hmm. cutting out time for yourself to be able to be, uh, fitter, healthier, uh, better example, and all, all of those things. And those time-efficient training protocols really become important because you <clears throat> it can't be that you've been gone for 10 hours that day and now you need three hours to go get your training in. You know, it's got to be something that's more efficient that uh, can be a good example to, the, to your kids and to your family uh, that you're, you're carving out that time to make sure you're fit, healthy, and, and ready um, but that also you're, you're there, uh, to be available and to be, be part of the family. Yeah, that's a great point. And you're right. Is that, you know, you do spend so much time working and not a lot of people work nine to five anymore. You know, those hours, they're just kind of out the window. People are, and even, and even now, I mean, I see it with my wife cause she has a, a career and, she's been working more hours that she's been working from home than when she would drive into the office and drive home, you know? So her drive time is now work time too. And then even sometimes beforehand. So, I mean, it's, it it is a lot. And then, so like you're saying, and then you have, you need time for yourself and then you need family time. It's a, it's a tough balance. There's only so many hours in a day. People talk about work-life balance and you know, it's, it's true. It's a, it's a struggle to, uh, to get that right. And, uh, you know, having that conversation with significant others, spouses, families, and, and knowing that, uh, you know, uh, you're taking a half hour to, to do what you need to for yourself uh, is a positive thing for the family instead of a, a negative thing. Uh, it's a good, good transition to be able to hit. And, you know, one of the struggles in working from yeah. home, which I've been doing for the last five years, is uh, there's, no, there's no quitting time. There's no start time. There's no quit time. It's if you work from home, you're, uh, you're already at work. 
<laughs> so, so the attitude is, well, I may as well do something like I'm here. I've got five right. minutes. I can do, you know, a little bit on this. And so setting the parameters, having a home office, you know, setting up the guideline guide rails, uh, so that you, um, are really more effective in what you're doing because you can always be busy, uh, and busy doesn't equal productive, but you can always find a way to be busy. The difference is to be productive. I like that. It's really nice. And I feel like it also ties into also what we were talking, you know, uh, like I said, my mind works in like, how do we relate things to different things and just understand them in different ways, but that have similarities. Cause I think there's so many things that are linked, so many ideas and principles and concepts that are applicable to so many things in life. And so what we were just talking about with training variables too, of, of being, being productive in a short amount of time and then what you're, what you're saying, you know, be productive at work, but don't spend all of your time yeah. at work, you know, spend it with your family, spend it doing, doing the things that you need to do. And so don't spend all of your energy in these crazy intensity, you know, crazy high intensity programs, you know, just yes. you know, train, do what you need to do, be productive and then get on with the rest of your day. So, and, um, and, you know, sometimes I couldn't help think, cause I've, I've heard people talk about this before. It was like, going too much and going too much and then the body can only take so much uh and then the body forces us to step back it forces us to reevaluate it forces us to slow down and what you were mentioning before about what you're going through right now with cancer and battling cancer i couldn't help think maybe this is a opportunity for you to slow down and just you know because you said you're a little bit of a workaholic sometimes it's that knock at the door say hey you know you got you got to take a little bit of a step back so could be yep the 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 reflection and self evaluation's been going on for uh, a little while now so yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sure well Brett, i really appreciate it uh you coming on but uh with every episode we end <laughs> with 10 questions that were Let's inspired by james lipton and bernard pavot so are you ready to answer some questions okay uh, number one, you know what? It's, it's, Who's your uh, hero? it's my family. It's, uh, it's my dad. It's my grandmother. It's my mom. Um, it's people in my life that have shown such strength and been such great examples to me. Uh, what excites well, you? My family, um, the next project, the, you know, accomplishing the, the next thing that's on the list and, keeping keeping things moving forward uh what turns you off negativity and mean people um life's too daggone short Hmm. kid laughing what is your favorite sound um what is your least favorite sound answer to this Actually, James Lipton inspired. Uh, screeching bricks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> well, right now, uh, what is your favorite Winston quote Churchill saying? quote? That if you're going through hell, keep going. In a couple uh, words. What should a dad be? Good man. Great example. Hmm. And the in a couple of words, that. what should a dad not be? <laughs> <laughs> of course. I uh, really if don't If you could know. try any other profession. I, uh, I feel so blessed to have fallen into what I do and have been given the opportunities that I've been given with by my mentors and, and people that have supported me. Uh, I really don't have an answer to that. I, I don't know what else I would be good at. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Uh, and finally, being a good what man. would you like to be remembered for? That's it. Nice. Nothing wrong with that, right? That's it. 
Uh, tell everybody where they can find out more about you, more about your programs. Um, I know you, I, we, we mentioned, uh, you didn't mention, but you mentioned to me the other day is that right now, given, given everything that's going on and the workload that you're taking on, um, you've, you're not taking on any more clients personally. Um, but let everybody know how they can find out more about you, what you're, so what you're say, offering right uh, now. From a website and, uh, perspective, strongfirst.com, functionalmovement.com. I have my own website, appliedstrength.com. Um, social media at uh, Brett Jones, SFG. I think that's right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure of my social media handle. I'm on Instagram uh, and Facebook, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll check and make uh, it's, sure it's on my app. I'll, I'll put the appropriate ones in the, in the show notes like the for you. Numbers nowadays, <laughs> it's actually hard to remember them because they're all just stored. Yeah, I know that is so crazy. It's just like, oh my gosh, I should probably learn that person's number. Um, okay, are there any? Um, uh, well, I'll I'll, I, I'll text. I'll talk to you about it off yep. offline i guess about the um the exact fms links and uh, strong Correct. first links because i know they're not your sites but appliedstrength.com is your site so yeah awesome well thank you so much for taking the time i know we went a little over but i really appreciate absolutely it's great to have the opportunity making Jim. the time thank you. And, and doing this for me thank you sir hey guys thanks for tuning into this episode of the warrior dads podcast if you like this podcast and want to support it please subscribe leave comments and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again, and keep on being a warrior dad.